for a long time when I started the company, I will say, and, it, and I hate to say it, but it's true. Having my Armenian last name, because my husband's Armenian, and a lot of my work is via email. So people didn't know I was black. And I do think that it helped grow my business. I realized for a long time, I think a lot of people thought that I was Armenian, which I think did help, which sucks a little bit to have to hide behind a name, right? Hello everybody, my name is Dana Satterwhite and I am this week's host of The Follow, a multicultural podcast from creative agency Sanders Wingo, where we talk to up and coming BIPOC creators, movement makers, and thought leaders who we follow. These are influencers who you might not know about, but we think you should. We talk to them about their work, worldview, and how they use their platform. At the end of the day, we're doing this to help us all get smarter about culture. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nicole Pryor Derner Session, founder and CEO of Firestarter Entertainment and Inclusion Media Group. Once performer and star of stage, Nicole has successfully transitioned to entrepreneur and talent representation for over 1,000 clients. In addition, she is using her platform to advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion. In this episode, we cover that and more. Welcome, Nicole. Let's start there. <laughs> let's start. Let's let's start there. You know, you got this. Okay. You have this this wild idea to start a company, and go. So I always call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I wasn't trying to be some big time CEO. I literally was just trying to find a way to pursue my goals and dreams, and nobody was giving me a shot an opportunity to do so. So I, so I found a way to do it myself. And I think, you know, any entrepreneur would probably tell you that a lot of times they are filling a space or a need in, in any sort of market. But mine was kind of accidental in that I wasn't intending to grow the company. So Firestarter Entertainment was initially a production company, which I started while I was doing Phantom of the Opera with your lovely wife, Kristen. And when the show closed, I moved back to LA and my goal was to transition into TV and film. And my agent at the time would not represent me across the board because they didn't see that transition of a Broadway performer to TV and film. So I, it was very frustrating. And then when I heard that a lot of my friends were having that same challenge, long story short, I basically was like, well, fine, I'm doing it myself. I had my production company, Firestarter Entertainment, and I was like, I'm going to turn my company into a talent agency, which was the craziest idea because I had never, I always say I've never had been an agent. I had always been agented. So I had no idea what I was doing, but I did know that my goal was to get my clients work. That's what I knew agents did. That's literally the simplest goal in the world, right? So then the question is, how do you get them work? How do you fill in those blanks? And that to me was just an investigation, figuring it all out. And I always say to people, give me a list and I'll complete it. So starting the agency took about three months of processing. It was, it was quite the task, but there was a list on California's website on how to get a talent agency license, how to make that happen. I knew that auditions for actors were on breakdown services because I was on the acting side. Every actor out there who's listening if you want to self-submit for auditions, go to actorsaccess.com, lacasting.com, 
castingfrontier.com. There are a lot of projects that you could self-submit on. Saying all that, there are a lot of projects that you cannot. And so I'm on Actors Access and I'm like, where's Grey's Anatomy? Where's Scandal? Where's all the shows that I like want to be on? And they weren't there. And, and I learned that there was another side of this service that the same company, but had an agent side. And I was like, I need to get on that side. And that's when I was like, I need to become an agent. And so three months after processing everything, I signed 13 of my friends who many of whom were in Phantom with me. And I literally was like, listen guys, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't promise you stardom tomorrow. I can't promise you anything except you all know that I'm a hardest working person. So I'll just work my butt off and let's just see what happens because none of us have any other options. So I'm the best you got, like, let's just go with it. My favorite thing to tell about this process was number one, you don't have to know everything there is to know about everything when you start something, unless it's brain surgery. Not everything is brain surgery. In the arts, especially, Art is subjective. Art is so a mistake can be a brilliant mistake and people will love it, right? Things that you think are wonderful, people can hate. So, and, but then there's also going to be people that love it. And at the end of the day, your goal really is to just do your best when it comes to art, especially in the entertainment business. Everybody's really just figuring it out. There is no clear path to success in the entertainment business. That's the one thing that I've learned more than anything during this process is that everyone's kind of figuring it out as they go. And if you have a clear goal, like you are very clear with what you are trying to accomplish, you could fill in the rest very easily. So <laughs> saying all that to say, I started with my 13 clients. I'm like, let's just do this. Let's see what happens. I'll always remember my first audition. I had no idea how to send it. Hadn't even thought that that far ahead. I just knew that I needed to submit them. And it took about a good week, two weeks for the first audition to come through. And I even called breakdown services at one point because I thought their system was broken or that they weren't receiving my submissions. Cause I was like, I'm not getting any auditions. Like what's happening? Um, and they're like, no, they're going through. And I'm like, well, great. Then why aren't we getting any auditions? And then finally, an audition, I'll always remember that first audition. There was a little bling on my computer with bling. And I was like, oh, audition and I was like oh how do I send it <laughs> so in that moment I created a process which literally pretty much have, has not changed since the other time was I was submitting in a certain way and a casting director actually emailed me personally just to say how poorly I was doing submitting on his project and gave me and I and instead of being like offended or scared i just wrote him back would you want to have lunch so you can you know show me what to do differently and he did and we became friends and we've been friends ever since so i you know i truly believe like when somebody takes the time to correct you you know invite them to lunch <laughs> because you know that means they because we're all in this business together and in the world we're all in the world together i truly believe like that most people are good people and, and want, and in order for people to truly succeed, we have to succeed together. And so in order for that togetherness to happen, we have to help each other. It's very rare that you're gonna ask somebody for assistance or help that they're not going to be actually grateful for being able to do so because it helps them in the end, number one. And number two, they would want the same thing for themselves. In, my side of the business of entertainment, 
we represent actors. We get them ready and polished up. We send them to casting directors who send them off to producers who put them on camera. Like we all work together. So it behooves everyone in the process to help one another so that we can have a easier time in the process. You talked about working together and you said all of us, you know, you talk about all people in the production process. But I think that these days where we are societally, I think there's a need for people to come together, a need for people to work together. Yeah. Well, last year, the year before last, for my 40th birthday, I started a nonprofit organization called Inclusion Media Group. And its sole purpose is to create content that tells stories of diverse people so that we can get to know and understand people. And in that, we can help eradicate racism and prejudice. Because this is the thing. I don't, I think that people personally, I think that people gravitate to people that are like themselves. It's just nature. It's, it is what it is. There's no coincidence. I grew up in a white area. I was one of like 11 black kids in my whole school. But at the same time, for some reason, the kids that I still talk to to this day are the minorities that were on campus, which is really weird, you know? And same with college. It was a white school as well. Uh, most predominantly white school. But again, most of the kids that I talk to are the minorities that I still connect with to this day. And it's because we gravitate to experiences to, to people that are similar to you. And what's interesting is the type of minority that I still talk to are similar to me as well in that they grew up in a white area. Like they have a very similar backgrounds as me. Meaning I'm a particular type of black person. <laughs> meaning I grew up in Ventura County, California. I speak in a certain way. Being in the entertainment business, Black people will basically say I don't talk Black enough, whatever that means. I don't believe in saying that because I am Black, so I talk Black enough because I am Black. It is what it is. I understand what they're saying and that the stereotypical, you know, what they see depicted maybe in the media is not necessarily how I speak. So the type of Black kids that I still talk to to this day speak like me. <laughs> you know, we, we relate and we have similar stories, similar backgrounds. This is the thing, though. We are all so much more alike than we are different. It's easy to find a connection with people who are similar to you, who have similar backgrounds, but it takes effort to practice inclusion. And I call it practicing inclusion because it's actually work. You have to practice it. You have to take the time and the energy to come out of yourself and say hello and engage with somebody who's different than yourself, which is not easy. And so my question in the conundrum that really, honestly, I still don't have an answer to is how do you incentivize somebody of a predominant race, specifically um, Caucasian individuals in America, how do you incentivize them to want to engage with people who are different than themselves when they don't have to in order to do better in life? Because as a minority, we have to. We have no choice but to come out of ourselves and engage with others in order to get a job, in order to, you know, do well in school, all of those things, because we're a minority, we literally have no choice. We walk out of the door into the world and we are usually the only one there in certain situations. So we have no choice but to engage and come out of ourselves. But how do you incentivize others 
to other than the, the facts that we know, we know that inclusion and diversity do make for a better environment for your life and also for jobs and, um, and companies. Companies do better when they have more diversity and inclusion because they have different perspectives coming into their company and it makes, it, it actually makes you more money. But if you are not open to hearing that and you're making enough money, right? Like you're doing fine. Your life is good. You're making money. You have enough friends. Why are you going to do that? You know, why, why, what's the incentive, you know? And so inclusion media group, because I can't answer that question, I figured inclusion media group instead can brainwash people basically, because everybody watches TV, everybody inhales entertainment and content. And if we can have more content like Bridgerton, seeing these black people be a Duke is what you, I wish I saw when I was a little kid because I love princesses. I wanted to be Belle. That was my Disney princess. There was no Tiana when I was a kid. So now those little girls, cause Tiana, I actually don't relate to Tiana. I'm not from New Orleans. Like I don't get it. Like that's not me. I'm more of a Belle. Like I love to read and I love, you know, I am Belle. So now there's more diversity. Diversity, people think, is just a race. I don't see it that way. I see diversity of culture, diversity of who we are as individuals. And we need more diversity in what is depicted in the media so that we can get to know one another on a deeper level. One of my, my vocal coach from college, who I love and adore, but she posted something recently and I was like, and I understood where she was coming from. This is the funny part because I would have said the same thing. She saw a commercial for selling a car. And in that commercial, she said, I don't want to see black men being depicted as thugs and criminals. And they really need to change up how they do that, which I totally agree with, right? We don't want to see just that. Saying all that, I was like, what about this person made you think that they were a criminal or a thug? A CEO doesn't have to necessarily be dressed in a suit. They could have a chain. They could be, you know, the 50 cent kind of CEO. And I think we need to have a way to change our eyes and our vision to have a wider perspective of who we are as people. And I think the media could help play a role in that. And that's why I have Inclusion Media Group. I love that. That's just a brilliant, I don't even say answer, <laughs> you know, just a brilliant perspective. Yeah. And it's, I think as you, you and I both know, it, it's complicated. Me personally, I, I want to move, let, let's continue to move forward. Let's continue to open doors that have not been opened before, you know, shatter ceilings that have not been shattered before. And I think the way to do that and the way to get there is to take approaches that we have maybe not taken before. Let me ask you this. Have you seen a shift in the types of roles that people are being cast for or the types of talent that you're being asked to submit? I think what I'm noticing is more diversity being chosen for the roles and they're more open to more diversity than ever before. And I think it really goes from the top. I'm sure the studio heads, all the people have talked about being more open to diversity. So our diverse clients are getting a lot of auditions, which is great, like more than ever before. 
um, I'm sure you see it on the advertising side. It's all about diversity and inclusion and all of that, which is so excellent. Like I'm all for it. I'm excited. It's really fun being able to, you know, as a talent agent, people always ask if I'm seeking diverse talent or things like that. I think the difference is I'm, I'm not excluding diverse talent. And I think that's what happened in the past is it wasn't that people weren't open to it. They just had a, a limit. It was like, oh, I already have one black girl. <laughs> I'm done. Like one black girl is, is an example. It's what we talked about before. We're, we're diverse group of people. We have different tones. I mean, if you're talking about physicality, we have different tones of skin color, but on top of that, we have different backgrounds. We're just different, but you got one, you're good. (laughs) And that's not how we operate. I always have two rules when I represent talent. Number one is that they have to be talented. And number two, I have to like them as a human being. Life is too short to deal with crazy people. And that's it. That has nothing to do with seeking out diverse talent. If a diverse talent comes my way, who's amazing, I'm ready to work with you. If you're Caucasian and you're amazing, I'm ready to work with you. And that's why I think we have such a diverse roster, period. I have a diverse agent roster. So we have a lot of agents that work with me now. And they're now actively seeking out more diversity on their roster because there's so many things coming their way, especially on the commercial side. It's great. It's really, really great. And I'm, and I'm open to it and excited about it. And it seems like behind the camera, they are doing that as well. I know Michael B. Jordan created the Inclusion Writer, which is something that basically is a commitment from the studios to have more diversity all across the board from, you know, not just actors, but down to below the line, camera operators, lighting designers, all of that stuff, which is really great. And then Ava DuVernay just did the same thing with her array to have more accountability with these studios and a commitment to be better across the board. Because it really isn't just who's on camera, but behind the scenes. I mean, as an actor, I think maybe one time in the, in the years that I was a performer, I think I only auditioned for what one Black person in all those years. It was always white people, whether it's casting for a Black show or a white, it didn't matter. I was it was always a white person behind that table. And that's when you get things like you're not black enough because a black person would understand a little bit more, like you would hope anyway, the diversity within us, but they see us so um, one dimensionally. I remember I, I, my mom, this is a good story. My mother, uh, not my mother. So I, (laughs) my friend who's a publicist called me out of the blue one day. He was asked to critique these screenplays. And I think from the perspective of, of a publicist. And this woman, white woman, wrote a book from the first person perspective of a black girl during the civil rights movement. <laughs> and he was, and he's an Asian man. And he was, he calls me because he was so offended. And he had, he told the woman that he was very offended. He felt that it was incorrect. You, you know, that's, you can't write from the first person perspective of another race like that. Like, unless you've done, like, talk to a friend who's like, you're a consultant. Like, you can't, the book was like, first person perspective, I'm a black girl. And he got a lot of pushback from the other people that he was the wrong one. And he's like, am I wrong here? I was like, no, absolutely not. And I said, maybe I'm like, maybe I'm being sensitive, but it just seems not right. So I called my mother, who is the multicultural international student advisor at a university in California, and she deals with multicultural issues constantly. So I was like, if anybody knows, my mom will know. (laughs) 
whether this is, you know, crazy. So I called her and she, her answer was number one, yes, it is completely offensive. And she said, the reason why people feel that they can write stories on our behalf is because in their mind, we're so simple and they could sum up our issues and we are not complex enough to feel that, that anything that we feel or experience are really all that complex and we could sum it up very easily. And the funny part is in that book, she wrote that the little girl went to a white hair salon to get her hair done. And one mistake. <laughs> and they turned her away because she was black. I'm like, a black person knows, number one, I'm not going to a white hair salon. Number two, if I do go to a white hair salon, the possibility of me getting turned away is high because I don't really want them doing my hair anyway if they don't know what they're doing. I've walked into like a fantastic Sam before and I'm like, okay, listen, like I don't have any other options today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I've already done most of the work. Can you just like, do a quick little trim? I know, you know, they'll try and like take out a water bottle when I had it like pressed. They take out a water bottle. I was like, no, no, no. Black hair, you cannot spray it and, and cut it after I pressed it. You have to cut it dry. Like you have to walk them through the process. And I was like, but she doesn't know. Right. You know, she thought that that was adversity and that's, it's like got it all wrong. You know, we are right. far more complex than that. We have far more interesticities that you, that are not depicted in your simple story of what our problems are you know, in the civil rights movement for Pete's sake. Like that was the biggest issue that you can come up with. <laughs> I know it's crazy and sad and all, all of these things. Um, but on that, on that note, talk about any, any challenges that you may have had to, had to overcome for any specific reason, you know, be it race, be it being a woman, being a, a human, yeah, yeah. All, all, all of it, you know, it's, it's hard being a human, right? That's all you just, you just want to be, just want to be a human. It's hard to be a human. So it's hard to be a human. And that, I think that, alone it could be the sum to sum it all up it's hard to be a human and i think we need to be compassionate with one another to know that because you know people try to lessen other people's struggles because they don't understand them like oh that person's rich they can't have problems oh that person's famous they can't have problems a person's problems and what they experience are unique to them and what they are feeling in that moment is intense and just as serious as your problems. And I think people have to really find compassion. And yes, there are, there, you do have to find perspective as well as the individual going through the problems. You know, when our parents were like, there are kids starving in Africa. I mean, that's for real. Like some problems really probably aren't that big of a deal. And it is important to find perspective, but also find compassion for those who are, are struggling. You know, right now during the pandemic, people are really struggling. You know, and no matter how rich, powerful, whatever you are, like people have problems across the board. As it relates to my background and, you know, yes, you know, I, I grew up the way I grew up as one of the few minorities in my school and in, in Moore Park in general. First of all, it was challenging, as you know, it, it's not easy. And the hardest part really is finding and loving yourself in that space. And believing in yourself beyond what other people see of you because they, 
they don't understand you completely because again, people gravitate to people that are like themselves. And so when you're not in that bubble, they don't, they get confused. Like whenever I wear braids, they were so confused by my braids. That was like a discussion. I had to learn how to explain braids. So I'd be like, oh, it's just like, I, I mean, to this day, I remember how to explain it because I had to learn how to explain it to these little white girls. I, they'd be like, well, your hair was short yesterday and now it's really long with the braids. Like, I don't get it. And I'd be like, you know how you guys like, like, like to put ribbon in your hair? It's the same thing. So instead of ribbon, I put hair extension hair and then they just braid it and it gets, and then we, but we go beyond my hair and they're like, oh, that's amazing. And then they get it. So, <laughs> so I had to learn how to communicate very early on. And I, and I've always been the type of person who really wants to be liked, you know? So I, I never got upset with the kids. I learned tolerance of their intolerance. <laughs> I learned to be tolerant of their ignorance, I think is a better way to put it and understand that they were just curious. They weren't being mean. But it did, however, make me feel different. It did make me feel separate. It made me feel alone quite often. I, I was rarely invited to birthday parties. You know, I was, I was on the prom court, so I was quite popular, but I was only invited to one party my entire high school years. And I always rack my mind. You know, like, I'm going to just tell you, I think that's one more than me. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I'm like, how do you end up on the prom court, but not get invited? Because I knew everyone on campus. I was very, you know, I was bubbly Nicole. Everyone knew me, but you know how people had like spots on where you sit at lunch. Like I was never in one spot. I'd sit with, you know, there was this one kid who was a foreign exchange student. He would sit alone. I would go and sit with him sometimes. I would, I would, I would just walk around. Like I felt comfortable with the popular kids. I felt comfortable with my uh, AP class kids. Like, you know, I was everywhere. I'd go hang out with the band kids. I wasn't in band, but I was like, Hey band kids, you know, I just, I was everyone's friend or acquaintance really, which is what we learned that that truly was. I was never close enough with anybody to truly be friends, which was very lonely. Like I would cry all the time to my, like literally cry tears that nobody liked me. I, I'm alone. I felt, you know, and all the while it wasn't that people didn't like me. I just wasn't close to anyone. And I don't know if it, I don't want to blame them for that either. You know, I don't know if it was me or them, you know, for years I was like, it's their fault. But you know, I also didn't take the time as a kid to, to figure out how to cultivate those close relationships either. Maybe I didn't want them as much as I thought I wanted them. Who knows? But at the end of the day, I think a lot of it came down to because being a minority, it's really, really hard to figure that out, that space, you know, to figure out how to relate, you know, because there wasn't anybody who was exactly like me. So I instead, I always used to say, like, I was this bubbly girl, but later in life, I like being alone, truly. I like working alone. I prefer it. I do better alone because I talk a lot. <laughs> so I prefer, you know, my own space. So I wonder if, you know, I created that bubbly personality to figure out a way to be well-liked, to figure out a way to relate, to figure out how to interact with these kids and make them feel less threatened by me as someone who is different. So it was interesting, but I'm grateful for it. 
it made me stronger. I'm sure you feel the same way. I mean, any minority who grew up like we did, I feel like we're, if we got through it, okay, we're super strong because of it. We know, know who we are. Like we had to, because I mean, you're, you're like, what's wrong with me? Why? You know, (laughs) so you had to figure out how to like yourself when I didn't get cast in shows. Cause I was a singer, but you know, I was in the musicals and stuff like that. I never got any of the parts. And I was like, but, and it wasn't like, oh, I'm the best singer, but I was like, it just didn't, I was a very good singer. And I had to figure out, I was like, is it me? Or, and early on, I realized, cause I would get solos, like big solos, but never a lead in the musical. And it would be like Grease and, you know, all these white shows. So I got it kind of, but it wasn't, it also wasn't fair. And I felt, you know, it just, there wasn't a lot of opportunities, it, but that alone is what made me realize I had to rely on my talent. I had to believe in my talent. And, and that's what pushed me later because when I, because the real world, even for those talent, those kids that were getting everything is just as tough. When you get into the real entertainment industry and you're auditioning and doing all this stuff, it's just as hard for whether you're talented, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're Asian, it's hard for everyone. So I was used to no's. I was used to people telling me no. So when I got no's, I didn't immediately think it was me anymore because I learned that in high school. I learned that in middle school. And so when I got a no, I was like, well, on to the next, on to the next. I saw every opportunity as just an opportunity. I used to say, I just need to make them feel bad for not being able to cast me. That was my motto for everything. Just make them feel bad and make them feel bad enough that eventually they will cast me in something. I mean, even the role I played in Phantom, I was the first black person to play that role. And the only reason why that happened is because I showed up to every single audition. If it said blonde hair, blue eyed, I was there like, hi, I know there's nothing for me in this show, but I'm here to meet you, casting director, create relationships and give you an opportunity to know me because people cast people people hire people, you know, even in the real world, it's all about relationships. And if you don't show up, you can't build those relationships and give them an opportunity to know who you are and to show them who you are. You could talk yourself up. You could do all that. I'm not a great networker, but I'm a great worker. And I believe that if you could show up and show who you are, show, not tell, just show who you are, you will go further. And so I, I early on was like, I'm just going to show up. I'm going to show up all the time. I even went to Duck Dynasty, the musical audition. There was nothing in that show, but the casting directors, I'd never met them before. And I was like, this is a good opportunity to show up. And so I went, nobody was there. Nobody, like literally nobody. I was the first person at the whole entire audition. I was like. Do people look at you like you must be in the wrong place kind of thing? No. I didn't care. I never paid any mind to anybody. <laughs> I even I even went in for Dora the Explorer. Clearly, I'm not Dora the Explorer. They wanted me to. I even sang a Spanish song, but <laughs> but I I really understood early on that it was about getting to know people, and that's why Phantom happened. The casting director I had known him for years. I had shown up to any time that he was auditioning for anything. I was there. And when Phantom came along, he actually told me to my face in the first audition, you are right for nothing in the show. He said that. And he's like, you know what, though, let's just, I'm just going to call you back anyway. Let's just see what happens. And here you are. Mm-hmm. So you have to just show up. Like, it, it, there's no substitute for showing up. 
but I will also say you have to show up and be good and consistent. Like you can't just show up and suck either. You need to do the work to be good when you show up and you need to be consistent because if you're consistently showing up and doing well, that's when things will happen. But you have to, I mean, consistency is key. I want to talk a little bit about your transition from performer to entrepreneur. How do you refer to yourself? Are you owner? Are you founder? Are you CEO? Are you, you know, what's your... Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. You know why? Because that changes. I literally just changed my Instagram from owner to CEO like two days ago. Because <laughs> it said it said owner and talent agent at Firestarter, at FSC Talent. I was like, CEO sounds better. The hardest part about that is I'm the person, right? So I'm the owner, I'm the CEO, I'm the president, like I'm in charge. <laughs> so it really can be, I'm the founder. I'm not pretentious in those titles. I'm not sold on those titles because when you're running a company from scratch, when it's literally zero and then it grows to representing over a thousand clients, I have a team of 11. When you have all these people reaching out, like it's a lot. Running a company is a lot. Being an entrepreneur is a lot, especially when it comes to being a minority CEO. It's like really different. And, and being a female CEO, that's really different. I mean, for a long time, when I started the company, I will say, and, and I hate to say it, but it's true. And I think it's important to state because it's not right. But being having my Armenian last name, because my husband's Armenian, and a lot of my work is via email. So people didn't know I was black. And I do think that it helped grow my business. I'll always remember uh, we were doing like a new client thing where we quickly met, like it was like speed dating. We met a bunch of people really quickly. And a, a prospective client walked past me and said, where's Nicole Derner Session? And, and one of the interns who was helping us that day was like, oh, you just passed her. He's like, no, that's not her. She's Armenian. <laughs> he was so sure. <laughs> no, wow. that's not her. Armenian. And I realized, like, I've even had like casting directors be like, oh, Armenian. And I'm like, no, my husband's Armenian. But, but, <laughs> but I realized for a long time, I think a lot of people thought that I was Armenian, which I think did help. You know, it was like yeah. my little, um, kind of secret <laughs> for a while, which sucks a little bit to have to hide behind a name, right? Um, but, I, you know, at the same time, I'm grateful for that opportunity to be able to grow the business, despite the fact that I know, unfortunately, that who I am could have prevented some of our growth, which is really unfortunate. And I will say, and I know that for a fact, unfortunately, I mean, when I worked at the Oscars, for instance, I Stop saying that I own the company in certain circumstances because people would give me a weird reaction. And I don't want to think that I was reading into it, but I'm pretty confident it was weird. I would say, oh, I own Firestarter Entertainment. And they would literally physically, Dana, cock their head and go, so, so, so who do you represent? <laughs> and they'd ask like all of these follow-up questions to basically validate the company now then i changed it up i was like you know i'm not going to say that anymore it was just too i realized in a short conversation it wasn't enough time to validate who we were so instead i just started saying i work there 
Interesting. Which is really annoying. And, you know, and it's funny because my Caucasian friends were used to be so offended by that. They'd be like, I can't believe you're not just owning it, you know, and like just, you know, and I'm like, it's not that I'm not owning it. I am clear and understanding that I have a fiduciary responsibility to my company to grow my company. And if I, as the owner in public, and when I'm meeting these high powered people who could help my clients, because I also have a responsibility to my clients. So if me just saying that I own the company causes them to question our validity and causes that to hinder my client's ability to perceive, to fulfill their dreams and their goals, then I have to set aside my pride really and say that I work there because I also work here. And it's, you know, but saying all that through time and as we've developed and grown as a business, I've started to take back that role. And I think that's part of the reason why I also, I, you know, there were times that I'm like, should I take away the owner, you know, title on my thing and just say talent agent, you know, but now I'm starting to take on, that's why I changed it to CEO, things like that. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm starting to be comfortable with, and also I feel like it's our time, you know, with the racial reckoning that happened last year right now is our time to own it and people are more open and accepting and they need us like to valid to they need us for their fiduciary responsibility which is the way that a lot of things remember we were talking about incentives you know my husband always says that it really comes down to the pocketbook unfortunately you know slavery was the pocketbook you know the way that our prison system works and why black men are being incarcerated at such high percentages is because of money. It's all comes back to money. And so now money is saying that we are in style <laughs> because people are buying, I mean, we had Black Panther, Runaway Hit. Like we are showing in the entertainment industry specifically, Tyler Perry and all that he's doing, we are showing that we are a viable product in the entertainment industry, we have we can come to the table not only in front of the camera but behind the camera. And right now, they they want us to be there. They need us to be there, and they're finally seeing our value. And you know, for anyone who's like, "Oh, I don't want to be the diversity hire," please stop saying that. That drives me crazy as well. I say, take it, take the diversity hire, and hire more of us. <laughs> you know, go in there, be good, be amazing, rise up and do a good job and then open the door for more diversity. There are affirmative action. There's a lot of things that have happened in our lives in our, to get us to this point. Laws that banned you know, segregation, laws that banned slavery, all of these things had to happen for us to get to this point. And so every now and again, you're gonna get an opportunity that might be because you are black, but there's no way they're not gonna tell you that probably. <laughs> so at the end of the day, it might also be because you're talented and you're gifted and you're qualified for the job. And you were before you were black. You were, you were always qualified for the job, but before the door was closed to you, now it's open to you. So walk through that door, take it, kill it, and open the door for others. That's where I see where we are right now. That's how I see my role. And I'm starting to walk in it. I'm living in it. I'm living in the empowerment of it. I feel more empowered than I have for most of my career as a performer. You know, you're always begging for a job. Now I feel so empowered being a CEO, but I also feel empowered now that people know that it's me. 
I've come out of the closet. I'm doing more interviews. I'm doing stuff like this. And, you know, on social media, I'm very visible and I'm trying to own it because I also feel like it's an inspiring story that you can do anything if you literally put your mind to it, which sounds so basic, but it's the truth. Like I said early in this conversation, you don't have to know everything there is to know about everything in order to start. You will get to know everything that you need to know to continue and to grow. At the end of the day, you're gonna get bored if you knew everything. I mean, at least I would. It's been the funnest part about this process is not knowing everything. You know, every day is a new adventure. Every day is exciting. I'm learning as I go and it's great. Thank you, Nicole, for being here and taking time to share a little bit of your world with us. And thank you all for listening. Again, my name is Dana Satterwhite, and you've been listening to The Follow, a multicultural podcast from creative agency Sanders Wingo. For show notes and links, or to get notified when a new episode comes out, visit thefollowpodcast.com or sanderswingo.com. Check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, and we hope you join us again.